It's Alex Pearson here on Point. Boy, what a busy show today, mostly revolving around the much-anticipated throne speech and what Justin Trudeau said tonight to the nation. Let's start with the conservative reaction. Well, we talked to Pierre Polyevra, his party not going to support the throne speech. We also talked to Blacklock's reporting, and they have dug up an interesting little story about the CMHC, which is embarking on a highly and costly program where they want to house immigrants and students in households where there are empty nesters. Think about that. We'll talk about that. And of course, we'll talk with the panel and give you all the political and policy uh, breakdown of what we heard today on the throne speech. Let's get to it. Getting through to you. That's the point. Do you understand? There is a point. That point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Listening. The second wave isn't just starting. It's already underway. The numbers are clear. Back on March 13th, when we went into lockdown, there were 47 new cases of COVID-19. Yesterday alone, we had well over a thousand. We're on the brink of a fall. It could be much worse than the spring. I know this isn't the news that any of us wanted to hear. So that uh, was the Prime Minister just a few minutes ago, delivering what uh, we had been told would be a crucial message that the nation needed to hear in prime time. And so, of course, we changed all our programming to do that. And, of course, it also comes just hours after a throne speech full of pie-in-the-sky promises that we've heard many times before. But... Here's my takeaway. His message was not all that urgent. It certainly could have been delivered the way it had been done many, many times in the spring outside his cottage. So what this appears to be is a way for the prime minister to get the last word on his throne speech, that he could put his own own mark on it, you know, because he doesn't want the sound bites going out of his scandal-plagued governor general. And it is extremely rare that a prime minister asks and you know a network to give them time to address the nation. And so Global News was assured that this wouldn't be a political event. It would not be a rehash of the throne speech. Because bottom line is it's not our job to give free you know airtime to him or any other politician unless it is actually about an urgent national important message to the public at large. But nothing of what I saw there or heard is anything we haven't yet heard. We know how to wash our hands. We know it's coming. So I look at this as nothing more than a political stunt. And if you ask me, it exploits an actual crisis. Because he peppered, of course, his little throne speech promises throughout. So as far as I'm concerned, shame on you. Others may see it differently, but that to me did not meet the bar. And the reason I believe you know he demanded that airtime is so that we'll use those clips... And then you don't use the ones with Julie Payette. And what I also heard in today's speech, throne speech, and I'll ask others on the show tonight, was this a kind of a dare for the opposition here to take us down, take us into an election. And the devil's in the details on this thing. But the devil was telling me that what Trudeau put forward today in his throne speech was this double dare to bring him down because he didn't meet any of the demands of the opposition. None. I mean, he didn't even try. 
But a lot of information came out on this. And so let me take you through what we were promised, which is the sun, the moon, the sky. We have massive, expensive, lofty goals with absolutely no ceiling on spending. And it focuses on three areas, the immediate needs dealing with pandemic, things like financial support, the health response, long-term economic recovery, and that yes, indeedy, climate action will be the cornerstone of the plan. And it is very clear that the Trudeau government only sees a green recovery. Now, with the throne speech, you don't get a dollar figure. That comes in the budget. So I have absolutely no clue how much any of all these promises will cost, but they're, they sound very expensive. And there were a lot of them. So we'll have to wait to the budget to see the true costs. And we also didn't get a lot of details, like what, what comes when, when will it be delivered? So not, nothing like that comes in the throne speech. But what was made very clear is that this government will spend, quote, whatever it takes, and also made clear, quote, this is not the time for austerity. So what goodies are on offer? Well, the big takeaways for me were this, and the most important would be to those out of work. And the CERB is not being extended. The focus now is going to move to a newly overhauled employment insurance to support who's lost jobs. They're going to uh, extend the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy, which helps business owners cover staffing costs flows, and that'll be extended to summer. They're also going to expand coverage for businesses' fixed costs, things like rent. And they're also going to improve additional lending options that uh, up, to, up till now, a lot of businesses that they could not get access to, and they desperately need this. And there's also a promise to give more direct support for businesses should there be a second shutdown. But the CERB was a key demand for Jagmeet Singh. He wanted it extended, and it's not. So will he support this throne speech? And there was no talk. I mean, for all the talk about a guaranteed basic income, wasn't in there. Surprisingly, but it was not in there. In the area of health, they'll create a testing assistance response team. And this has been a very, very big frustration for the premier over the last few days. He made that very well known today. It's been a huge problem. We all know that the lineups are hours and hours long. But this is something that should have been done a long time ago. Why this would be in a throne speech is completely beyond me. Because it shouldn't have to be. This is something that the health minister should have said to, to the provinces like five weeks ago. By the way, here, we'll get a rapid response team for testing in place now. Go. You shouldn't have to have a throne speech voted on to get that kind of help. That is BS. And that it's happening now is too late. I mean, they shut down Parliament for five weeks. We lost so much valuable time. But interestingly, it will take the political hot potato off the shoulders of uh, Doug Ford. Because now it's the uh, Trudeau government's responsibility, I guess. They're taking on all these provincial things. We got zero in health transfers. You'll recall the premiers were asking for $28 billion. On top of the $19 billion, there was nothing mentioned about that, and it was noted by the premiers. They will bring in tougher penalties for neglect in long-term care. Again, provincial jurisdiction. Put oversight on the RCMP. There's a long-term commitment countrywide for early learning and childcare. We've heard that before back in the Paul Martin days. Working toward working, important, they will work towards a universal pharmacare. Again, provincial jurisdiction, but it's not a guarantee. They're just going to work towards it. Just, you know, again, a, a thing, something that Jagmeet Singh wanted and, and did not get. <clears throat> they also promised to create 1 million jobs through climate initiatives, things like infrastructure projects energy-efficient retrofits, clean energy, all the things that they've had five years to do, 
And they're promising this green transition to exceed the Paris 2030 climate targets, but then they admit they can't do it without any help from the energy sector, but then they offered absolutely no support for oil and gas. All they offered were investments in renewables. So it is clear they want the next generation to be clean energy and technology solutions. And uh, where have we seen this before? Here in Ontario, of course. And how would we pay for all this? Well, of course, the wealthy. They're going to tax extreme wealth inequality by limiting the stock option deduction for wealthy individuals at large established corporations, and they'll tax digital giants. Now, it doesn't mean they'll actually tax the internet companies. What they want to do is impose new taxes and regulations on companies like Facebook and force digital companies to get licensed. And they also want to force, you know, streaming like Netflix to pay and support increased Canadian content and production. They already play a ton of it. And if they think they can tell a Netflix that they have to support Canadian content, which, by the way, the CBC is supposed to do, but they're in, you know obsessed with all things U.S. politics, these digital streaming companies will just say, see you later, Canada. But those are the very big takeaways, not a lot of detail. And then right after the throne speech, block leader Yves-Francois Blachette, also COVID positive, made uh, it clear Ottawa has not listened. And the Conservatives have made it clear they will not support this. And Aaron O'Toole, who has COVID, just issued this statement. Today, Mr. Trudeau told millions of Canadians that building back better doesn't include their family. I believe we need to build back stronger as a country. We must be more resilient and self-reliant for the future. The pandemic showed we can only count on ourselves in a crisis. We need to be more nimble and community-focused. We need to be working together to support one another and protect the vulnerable. So they uh, put that together very last minute because they, they couldn't figure out a way to, to get uh, Aaron Tool to be able to uh, comment live because no one can be around him. And uh, Jagmeet Singh now seems to be the kingmaker here. And he wanted a very firm commitment on pharmacare, on sick leave. And he also wanted um, things like child, there were a whole bunch, and the extension on serve, a whole bunch of things that he wanted. And he chalked it up to empty words. If you want New Democrat Party support, if you want my support, then you have to stop the proposal to cut help to Canadians who cannot get back to work and make sure you put in place paid sick leave for all Canadian workers. If you want something to support, that is something I will support right away. All right. So what's he going to do? He's asked about half a dozen times. Are you going to bring the government down? Or are you going to support it? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And he would not answer. So I don't know what he's going to do. Maybe he'll use it to, as the uh, negotiating, see what he can negotiate out of it. But the devil's always in the details on, you know, on these things. And this little devil has been caught playing games many times before. But that they closed down Parliament for five weeks for this. I mean, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. You know, five weeks of, of getting things like uh, testing perfected or these business programs perfected. I mean, none of it's gotten done. So to me, this is nothing more than a cynical stunt to make the scandals go away. And so will we go to an election? I just don't know. The Conservatives have made it clear they're not going to support this throne speech. And a few of their criticisms are the lack of support for the energy sector, but also because a lot of these promises are programs like pharmacare and long-term care 
and the healthcare promises are all provincial jurisdictions. The throne speeches are not written in stone. It's just a framing document. But, you know, the prime minister shut down parliament for six weeks. I mean, he was emphatic that this was essential to bring down this new plan so Canadians could decide for themselves where this country was headed. And what we ended up getting was a lot of lofty, big promises we've seen before at a time when people are scared, they are stressed out, and they're worried, not just about this second wave, but if they're going to have a job tomorrow. And maybe I missed something, but I did not see a lot of that addressed today. Pierre Polyevre joining me now. He is the finance critic. Good to have you, Mr. Polyevre. Good to be with you. First and foremost, a lot of people asking, where is the leader Aaron O'Toole? Obviously, he has COVID-19, but not able to make comment tonight. How is he doing? I understand he's doing well, but he is in quarantine following the rules. And I gather he will he either has or will record a message. He will record a message that will go uh, for broadcast in response to the prime minister's address to the nation tonight. Okay, good stuff. We'll keep an eye out for that. You know, your poor, your party says it's, it's not going to support this throne speech, which tells us that you're willing to vote against this. And when people who are on programs like the CERB or aid packages um, and those are running out, are you willing to vote against that knowing that people, uh, you know, could fall off these aid programs? Well, we, we will examine any legislation that comes forward. So far, we don't have any. We have a speech which has zero legal financial, regulatory, or other implications. It is literally just a gigantic public relations statement. Um, what, well, our priority, though, is jobs, paychecks. That's what people want. They understand that they're the only future for their families and for our economy is a paycheck. Paychecks put food on the table. Paychecks cover mortgage expenses. Paychecks allow governments to raise the tax revenue to fund our cherished social safety net. Only paychecks can do that. Government cannot create wealth out of thin air to permanently fund the economy. The only way to do it is through a paycheck, and that's why we have a real jobs plan so folks can get those paychecks. Jagmeet Singh uh, hasn't said if he will or won't, um, you know, support this. And he is basically holding all the cards right now um, because, you know, none of the things that he had asked for are in this thing. He's made it clear he's not happy about it, but he has not made clear whether he'll, you know, support this throne speech. So he's going to use a bit of a negotiating power. Is that something that uh, the Conservatives are willing to do to get this thing passed and support it? Well, we'll see. Uh, We have a House leader who will negotiate these things, but... Our message is very clear. We need to unleash, once again, our steel mills, our mines, our plants, our um, private sector economic engine to provide the jobs and paychecks people need to have a good life. Uh, That is the only way forward. And there is nothing in this speech that would do any of that. What we have here is a, a monstrous new cost imposed on the Canadian people that will kill jobs and drive us deeper in debt towards bankruptcy. Uh, We have a better way, uh, which is to unleash the productive forces of our 20 million workers and million-plus businesses to get our economy going again. That's what we should focus on. Do you think that the Prime Minister purposely put this throne speech uh, put forward to to, uh, force us into an election but just wants the opposition to pull the plug? He needs an election. Uh, before he gets goes broke or gets charged, um, you know he's spending money he doesn't have, and eventually the bill will come due. 
if you got a majority government, he would tax uh, your uh, the gains uh, on your principal residence. He would probably raise the GST. Uh, he would probably raise income tax on low-income people uh, because that's uh, what he would do. He would need to do to keep spending at this rate. But he wants to do that after he has a majority when no one can hold him accountable for it. So he needs an election as quickly as possible. Secondly, of course, uh, he's under investigation by the ethics commissioner, um, the lobbying commissioner, the language commissioner, two parliamentary committees, and possibly the RCMP. Uh, that could lead to charges for him or those around him. And he, he did rather have the election out of the way before that happens. One of the things that stuck out for me um, was the fact that they promised to create a testing assistance response team to deal with uh, COVID testing. And as you well know, in Ontario, if you've got to go get a test, you're waiting in line for hours. It's been an absolute nightmare. It is a huge weakness. Uh, the, pri- the premier is extremely frustrated that he can't get rapid testing um, uh, approved by the uh, the uh, can- uh, Health Canada. But it, it strikes me that, you know, six weeks of, of proroguing the House. I mean, this should not be in a throne speech. Um, you know, this is the kind of thing that ju- just should have been done because if they had started working on this, assisting the province, we probably wouldn't be in the situation we're in now. Well, it's been six months. It's six months since we closed the economy. Remember, that was March. So is it a revelation to this government that we need testing? Did they not know that? It's been half a year since we began testing for COVID. How did he not know at the very beginning that this was going to be necessary? Uh, was it that he was too busy trying to shovel money to his friends in the WE organization? Uh, was it that uh, he finds the practical job of governing too boring? That's why he let the testing uh, slide for half a year and left us in the crisis we face today. I don't know, but uh, it's amazing that he thinks he's come up with a brand new idea to enhance testing now, six months after the pandemic began. Well, it strikes me as a bit odd that this would not be, have, you know, not used politically, that this would have been just something that the health department was working on to make sure, you know, the, the greater good of, of Canadians uh, were put forward. This, to me, should not be a political issue. It should just be part of a response issue. And as you say, handled months ago, because, uh, you know, even if it goes in now, it's going to take weeks by the sounds of it to get testing uh, up and going. But is your party, you know, willing? I mean, there's not a lot of... Um, hunger for an election. Obviously, we're heading into this second wave. I don't know how quickly it's going to hit, but are you ready for an election and to hit the ground running? We're not seeking an election. We're seeking accountability for the corruption and crimes of the government, and we're seeking a plan to get people back to work safely. Uh, The parliament was elected a year ago. We have a job to do, and that job is uh, to reopen our economy safely So truckers and secretaries and barbers and business people can go back to their jobs or better ones, pay for their families' dreams uh, and ambitions, and fund uh, the social safety net that we all cherish. That's what we are working on in Parliament. We shouldn't get distracted with elections. Well, okay. so what happens uh, as of tomorrow? Uh, Do the um, committees all start uh, opening up again? Well, how does that process uh, work? I mean, they shut down very quickly. Do they they reopen as quickly? Unfortunately, the rules allow the government to delay the reopening of committees another 20 House sitting days, which is going to work out to almost a month of additional delays before those uh, investigations into the 
we scandal can resume. Uh, and we asked the government if they would uh, allow us to open immediately. They said no. Uh, understandably, they have a lot to hide. They don't want to resume any of that coverage. So um, they, uh, they're they keeping the investigation shut for another month. Uh, and that was Trudeau's original plan. As you know, today's throne speech has really nothing new in it that they hadn't already talked about. And so now that we see that, we know the only reason he prorogued was to shut down the investigations into his corruption. Well, that is an inconvenient truth, but nonetheless, uh, at least uh, Parliament is getting back to some kind of business. So we'll uh, see what the following days bring to us. I appreciate your time. I know it's a busy day, but I appreciate you coming on with us. Happy to do it anytime. Thank you. That is a finance critic, Pierre Polly, ever joining us here tonight. So there you go. The investigations don't get back up and running right away. There's a whole bunch of ways you can delay it and they will. So we'll see what happens, uh, whether or not um, Jagmeet Singh pulls the plug. All righty, let us dig between the headlines to where the nuggets, the really important news nuggets that you need often get buried. But thanks to Blacklock's reporting, they managed to dig them up and uh, they're worth it because these are the stories that actually affect you. Tom Korski is managing editor over at Blacklock's reporting. And before I get into a couple of the other headlines you guys have dug up, what was your um, takeaway from the throne speech today? It was some golden oldies, Alex. Uh, I think farmers call that big wind no rain. There was really nothing in that speech that uh, you couldn't have learned from following the Prime Minister's Twitter account six weeks ago. Uh, that, that really wasn't the reason he suspended Parliament. We know it was because of these damaging committee investigations. But uh, I like nostalgia, and it was uh, it was really uh, a repeat of uh, programs that have been promised in, in, in the past. Yeah, you, you can go out there and make these bold, bold, bold statements. But when, I mean, you know, Jagmeet Singh, I mean, I seldom agree with him, but it's empty words. And so really, he's the kingmaker here because the bloc and the conservatives have already said not supporting him. I doubt that there will be an election, and uh, I don't think anyone wants one, especially with the second wave, even the public health agency getting very alarmed, uh, using language, very worrisome language about the doubling of the infection rate. Mm -hmm. I don't see a vote on this, but everyone knows why uh, the cabinet suspended parliament, and it wasn't about they had these fantastic new bold adventuresome plans that they'd kept secret for the past five years. It was because it was so hot, they just needed to get out of town for a few days and that's what they did yeah i mean one of the big takeaways and irritations was the, the announcement on testing that they will take over the testing well that's great you just wasted five weeks you know pissing around proroguing parliament where if you were going to do that you should have done that five weeks instead now we've got lineups around the blocks all over uh, ontario for testing at a crucial time when the surge is going Nonetheless, um, okay, here, here's the headline that you got to explain this one to me because I find it a bit creepy. Uh, CMHC embarking on what is called a highly costly program to encourage retirees to rent empty bedrooms to immigrants and students. So they hired these IT consultants to develop this national database where they match these empty nesters with people until accommodations. Sounds great on the surface, but um, also very icky. Well, a couple of questions. Number one, what do you think you're doing? Uh, this is a cor crown corporation that's had the same mandate since 1946, which is mortgage insurance. Apparently, they find that boring now. <laughs> Apparently. They They've gotten very have political, haven't they, of late? They, it's unbelievable, really, Alex. They have a vice president of innovation, and he, he was musing about this program in a podcast of all places. He said a couple of interesting things. Frankly, we don't have a mandate for this. Do tell. 
And he said it, will, it is highly costly. Uh, so the obvious question was, what do you think you're doing? Uh, anytime you see a government monopoly, a crown corporation mm-hmm. that wants to do what they see other corporations doing, they want to get involved with the cool kids and be innovative, hang on to your wallet. And the second point was this program is uh, they're riffing off a municipal plan that goes on in the city of Toronto, started as a pilot project. Uh, they will not say in Toronto how much it has cost in operations or how many people it has benefited. The basic scheme is that if you are an empty nester, a pensioner who has an empty bedroom, you want to rent out for 400 bucks a month. Well, you say, well, just put an ad on Kachichi. No, CMHC wants to be the broker for that. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of Just maybe, just mind your knitting. But uh, I, I guess uh, CMHC finds the mortgage insurance business unfulfilling. I don't know what to say. I find it intrusive. It means that they went through personal data of at least 12 million households to find out who's moved out, how many people live there. That that bothered me. But again, are they going to be screening these people? I mean, when you go and list for a tenant, are they going to be making sure that tenant isn't some criminal or, you know, pedophile, whatever? I mean, there are some very older people, retirees who may be more vulnerable. I mean, are they going to do all the screening for that? I just found this program to be kind of all sorts of wrong while it has maybe good intentions at, at the surface level. But at the very least, uh, any sort of expansive social program like that is not going to come out of, uh, you know, a filing cabinet at the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation out here on Airport Road. Just just do what you're told. Submit your dividends to Parliament like you're supposed to do every year. Watch the default rate. That could be a problem on account of the recession. Never mind pie-in-the-sky social benefits. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Then, of course, the report, um, the air so filthy in Beijing that Canada is now actually having trouble putting uh, staffing into the embassy. And the Department of Foreign Affairs said yesterday that this was a problem. China, of course, won a lot of praise from uh, Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna once upon a time for its climate change program. Back in 2018, she signed this environmental cooperation agreement with, uh, you know, the country and, and just praised the Communist Party for introducing a cap and trade regime to lower emissions. And so on, as I hear of these green utopian dreams today, Tom, of what we're going to do with the green recovery. And I look at this, I'm like, really? You're so worried about what Canada is doing. And China just floats the laws and does nothing and still gets praise. She did get a lot of, uh, Catherine McKenna was extremely enthusiastic as environment minister about climate action by the People's Republic. Anyone who's ever been there or seen pictures in National Geographic would say, what are you talking about? You know, there was an MP, he's retired now, Dave Van Kesteren, and he went on a trade mission to China. They, they burned this soft coal, a very high sulfur content. It's not like high caliber Canadian coal. It's very soft coal, very smoky. And Kestrin went on this trade mission. He came back. He said, I thought everyone was burning rubber tires. I mean, that's what it, <laughs> that's what it smells like. And that's what it looks like. Uh, I was a reporter in China. There were days the visibility was literally across the street. It is a carpet. It is literally a curtain of smog. And here we see, as you mentioned, the Department of Foreign Affairs saying that it is so bad they can't get people to work at the embassy. People who work there want to leave, especially if they have children, and that it is, quote, unquote, hurting morale. The environment is that filthy in China. Right. 
But we're worrying about, you know, reaching the Paris targets. Never mind what the big real offenders are doing and don't change. It took a pandemic, remember, to get the uh, clear air there in China. I think they had it for about a week and a half, but nonetheless, it's back to being dirty. All right, Tom, we will look forward to uh, your next little discovery. I appreciate your time. My pleasure, Alex. That is Tom Korski, managing editor over at Black Locks Reporting, a subscription-based magazine, and of course, worth every single penny. When we come back, we'll talk about the business side of the throne speech. What did we hear? Was it enough? And why one particular group says, never mind, we'll come up with our own plan. We'll talk about that next on Point on Global News Radio. I want to bring in a a few voices to get a bit of expertise from different perspectives on what we have seen today and what we have heard. Let's bring in Dan McTeague, former Liberal MP and President of Canadians for Affordable Energy. Good to have you, Dan. Good to be here. Thanks, Alex. Jaskarin Singh Sandhu, Senior Consultant with Crestview Strategy, as well as a former Executive Director of the World Seek Organization. Good to have you. It's always a pleasure. As well as Peter Van Loan, former MP for York Simcoe and Government House Leader, conservative strategist with a whole lot of uh, experience working at all levels of government. Good to have you, Peter. Good to be with you. All right. So the prime minister approached the networks and asked uh, if he could address the nation. And to do that, it had to be on the basis that it was because there is a real national crisis that needed to be aired and heard by the public at large. I mean, it's not cheap for the networks to do this. It was not to be used as a political stunt. Uh, because, frankly, that's not our job. Dan, was it a necessary address? Well, I think the litmus test of uh, it not being uh, political uh, was probably not the issue. It was something that he does every day. It's something that he could have done every day, and given, of course, the theatrics that went with it, there was no urgency. Uh, This is normally time and uh, opportunities that are reserved when there's a very serious crisis, We know of the pandemic. It's been around in Canada since about the end of February, beginning of March. Uh, So there's nothing new here. Uh, But it was an opportunity for the Prime Minister to continue to shine and to uh, remind people or at least encourage people not to remember why he prorogued Parliament. And if it was such a big crisis uh, uh, that, you know, don't worry about my misdeeds on the scandal and the waste scandal. Let's just talk about other things that uh, really are more just that. Talk, word salad, not anything specific. Right, but Jasker, our job uh, yeah, as a platform is not to to make sure that he can shine, uh, you know, his baubles. Um, you know, it's a legitimate platform, and and, and you know, it costs money, frankly. Um, and so, you know, was was there anything in that message that a we haven't heard from every health official in the last forty eight hours, but that he couldn't have simply said um, at an eleven o'clock uh, daytime, you know, press event. Yeah, look, this was an unprecedented address. Not many examples of this you can pull from in the past and say, well, he's just following a sort of protocol. This is well. Well, the last time out. it was Stephen Harper, and that was yeah. uh, for a shooting in Parliament, but he didn't yeah. approach the networks, right? And so, it, so like, there's, there's, there's an element of unprecedented to this. Um, now, is this going to be like a new normal, like a bit of a State of the Union type speech every time there's a throne speech and uh, the Prime Minister takes to the airways? Who knows? Maybe it's such a new precedent. I don't know. That's mm. yet to be seen. But the, the issue here I'm is... I'm pretty sure it won't. <laughs> I can tell you it won't. Yeah, you never know. Things happen. Uh, the, the point, though, is like, yeah, there really was nothing new here. Uh, there was nothing that we learned from this televised address that kind of warranted uh, a, a special circumstance. Right? There was nothing really new here uh, to suggest uh, to Canadians that uh, there's something here that's, uh, that requires the Prime Minister to take the airways and, and engage in a conversation like this with, with the greater good, greater public, sorry. Uh, the bigger question, though, is does anyone 
really care beyond uh, you know talking heads like us. Like, but the, the random you know regular Joe uh, you know sitting there in their living room. I, I, I like to use my mom as, as a litmus test of this sort, right? Who's not very uh, political. Uh, looking and watching this, or just oh, this is kind of neat, and, and leave it at that, and not think of it too hard or beyond that. Yeah, I mean the bean counters certainly do care, uh, Peter. But again, um, it's like uh, the next time there is an urgent matter, uh, maybe it'll be um, not so urgent for you know the, the TV stations to to provide it. I think you're right there. I think TV stations are going to raise the bar and say you better prove you've got a good reason for asking for this. From Trudeau's perspective, the strategic objectives of proroguing Parliament and doing this throne speech were twofold. One was to uh, put an end to the scandal and associated uh, turmoil. They did that very effectively by tossing Bill Morneau overboard and now uh, getting this focus supposedly on a bunch of new policy issues. Uh, and that objective has been achieved. I think the second objective was to take on a new conservative leader and roll out into an election. And I think with the uh, when he's not simply not ready, doesn't have candidates. In fact, when none of the other parties are ready, and when a big majority based on uh, you know uh, this COVID rally around the leader effect. But I think what's happened is with the COVID numbers suddenly escalating, the second wave apparently it looks like coming on. I think they pulled up from that strategy at the eleventh hour. And we were left with a very, very puzzling exercise where, as you said, we had a speech where we didn't hear anything new whatsoever. And uh, that even goes to the stuff in the throne speech. I, I will say this. It, it was almost kind of disrespectful to our traditions and to the crown. The throne speech is supposed to speak for the government. That's our tradition on a day like this. To then ask for TV time to really say nothing different, nothing of interest is kind of offensive to that uh, that history and that tradition of our parliament. But uh, in that policy menu that was in front of everyone, it was like the Liberals' greatest hits. Uh, you know, here's a, mm-hmm. uh, a proposal to daycare. Well, we've been seeing that since 1993 in every single election for the Liberals. It, you know, there's this, you know, kind of adage of... Uh, the Liberals are going to get elected on their commitment to daycare. You've got to vote for them every time because uh, it happens every single time. It's like the biggest mistake conservatives ever make is balancing the budget because they get elected to balance budgets, and when they do it, then they get thrown out. The Liberals are smart enough to never actually deliver this daycare plan so that people will keep voting for them perpetually. Right. But bottom line is, you know, he's trying to reset the agenda, but he shut down Parliament for over five weeks. And, you know, that that shouldn't have been done unless there was an actual recovery plan. Uh, did anything of what you heard today, Jaskrin, justify proroguing uh, par- Parliament? Well, it, it's well, it supposed to be a very ambitious throne speech. And the thing about throne speech is that we, we really won't know the entire fallout of this until we have the budget. Uh, where the actual meat will be provided, and it's, uh, you kind of do away with some fluff uh, and puffery that comes with the throne speech, and you, you start seeing the hard results of it. So a lot of this we can't call until we actually see the budget, and we start seeing the dollars and figures that are attached to some of these things. Uh, there, was a big, there was a big hurrah leading up to this. Uh, uh, former now Minister Monroe, uh, Monroe and uh, Prime Minister Trudeau had a rift uh, because of the spending that the Prime Minister wanted to do. I don't know if there's a, so much in here to suggest that uh, we're seeing something that is drastically different than what the government's doing already. Uh, and, and in fact, you know, there's you know, uh, leader of the NDP, Jagmeet Singh, uh, was quick to say that, you know, CERB could be, should be continuing and there, there should be more here. Uh, and then you have uh, folks from the other side uh, with the Conservative Party on the block saying uh, there's, there's not enough for uh, the certain segments of, of society that needs the most. And this has been an ongoing issue and complaint from a lot 
uh, of folks in industry and, and folks that are kind of looking at the economy is that there's not much uh, being done right now on sectoral support, right? Support uh, sectors that really need it. There's a lot of general stuff. Uh, it is general good enough, but leading uh, into now, what, six months into the mm-hmm. uh, COVID-19 and probably a much longer uh, a time to go still before we have a vaccine and we're comfortable opening things up back to normal. Uh, yeah, it's tough to say that this is enough, but the budget is really where you're going to see this manifest itself. Right. The problem, though, Dan, is that the budget's not going to be for a few weeks and an awful lot of people are going to run out of CERB very, very soon. And there are a number of people that don't qualify for EI, even though they're saying everyone will get rolled into this, you know, reformed EI program. Um, and, and in addressing the recovery, I mean, they've had six weeks. They could have fixed all the programs that the businesses have been complaining for months and months and months aren't working. Um, and none of them are still fixed. No, it's an opportunity that was squandered. But let's understand that today was really about a head fake. Um, you know, we, we know why we're here. We know what yeah. happened. Uh, the fact that we're having a, a rise in the number of uh, COVID cases was not unexpected. Uh, certainly uh, everyone knew back in May, June, as things started to get better, that with the cooler weather, we'd start to see numbers rise. The fact is, right now, we're looking at a rather uh, serious circumstance circumstance here. You have a government that right now has basically taken the position of not worrying about the money, not worrying about what programs work, but just coming out and, you know, giving people this sort of warm, fuzzy feeling that we got your back. At the end of all of this, I don't think it's made anybody more comfortable about uh, or less uncertain about the future. And it certainly has le- left a lot of questions unanswered. Uh, I'm not sure if an economic statement, uh, you know, I will have uh, Peter and others correct me. I don't think an economic statement has quite the weight of a budget. If he's not talking budget, he's talking or they're talking economic statement. Uh, that's just more opportunity to sort of kick this thing down the road and continue to uh, Mount. I'm waiting for the uh, for the uh, you know for the bondholders to start making decisions as to which policies we can implement in this country. I'm also waiting, despite what the prime minister has said, uh, for those defaults to start to begin. Not just for people who fall in between the cracks, but yeah. you know mortgage deferrals are now coming up. These are going to be yeah. mortgage defaults very soon. Yeah, and uh, as I understand, uh, speaking to someone who deals with bankruptcy, they are normally seeing you know half a dozen here and there a week. They are starting to see a huge number, absolutely, uh, and anticipate that that's going to skyrocket in October. But um, you know, Peter, one thing that really stuck out to me on the issue of health: the provinces did ask for twenty-eight billion more on top of the nineteen billion. Billion there was nothing offered on that, and it was noted by the premiers who are not very happy. But in particular this testing, um, you know, panel that they're going to put together, this, uh, you know, this this plan to help test. And this is something that should have been done weeks ago. You shouldn't need a throne speech to promise the Canadian people that you will help, uh, you know, build a, an assistant response team. That should have been done months ago. And the fact that we have people now waiting hours and hours in line because no one at the federal government or the provincial government could get their crap together on testing. That, to me, is just shameful. Well, I suspect that that part of the throne speech was thrown in at the 11th hour when those lineups suddenly appeared. And if we were having the throne speech two weeks ago, it wouldn't but have But they shouldn't be there. creating it now, for God's sake. Well, that's ex- exactly my point. It's, uh, <clears throat> it, uh, they're just trying to create the impression that they're taking action on something where people are concerned, and uh, it looks like there is a problem. But... Uh, 
when they and on the healthcare issue, which you raised earlier, the healthcare funding, the one thing they did have in there that I saw that was new was this uh, commitment for a strategy on long-term care. And uh, the interesting thing about that is, of course, it's one of these ones that uh, the federal government, having uh, you know reduced their funding now to a pretty low number, and the premiers wanted up to 35 percent, used to be 50 percent of healthcare funding. Uh, if they want to actually set national standards and uh, achieve that, they're going to only be able to achieve it because of jurisdiction by uh, putting more money on the table. So hopefully there is a path forward on that. But uh, again, I don't know that you have to have a throne speech to get to that. That's something we've been asking for sometimes. Years. The other thing that I thought was uh, amusing on the healthcare front was their commitment to accelerate their continued commitment and their commitment to accelerate their promise of pharmacare. Uh, since, uh, uh, you know, accelerating it from what it's been for the past five years, i.e. it hasn't moved an inch, well, that's not much of a commitment because it could just, like, you know, begin to actually discuss something and uh, talk about things, and that would be accelerating it. So it is really, as I say, kind of these greatest hits that the Liberals always promise and never deliver. Yeah, it's funny. The, the word was work. We will work on a pharmacare plan. We will work on it. But we're not going to deliver it. But, uh, you know, Jugmeet Singh then finds himself in a in a bit of a power position now because uh, the bloc has said they won't support this. The Greens who are whatever, they're just kind of in la la land and they, they, they will love anything as long as it's a, a green commitment. But uh, certainly the bloc has said they won't support this. The conservatives have said they won't support this. But, you know, Jaskrin Singh Sandhu was asked several, several, several times, will you support this or will you bring down the government? And take a listen to what he's saying uh, will keep his support for this. If the liberal government is interested in our support, we are making it very clear. There's two things they can do and we would support it. And if they did these two things, it would allow us to then look at the throne speech through the lens of actual actions that are going to help people. Right. And what he's talking about, Jaskrin, is he wants the sick leave, he wanted the extension on CERB, and he wanted the pharmacare. So he's now going to be able to negotiate with Trudeau to get what he wants. And that, that actually looks pretty good on him. The NDP wins when they have uh, this type of leverage, right? They don't. They don't necessarily win when they're in government or form government. And part of that's also because they've never formed government at the federal level. Uh, but that's Thank not God. me being snarky or anything. I, I think the NDP actually has uh, has more uh, effect and impact when they're in a negotiating uh, strength that they have like now. Uh, and this is the opportunity to push through really important platform items that the NDP has always cared about. And one of them is pharmacare. And getting it done on the terms of the NDP, now is as good a time as any to do it. You have a government and the Trudeau government that is open to the idea, uh, obviously have dragged their feet in the past, and the Liberal Party in general has dragged their feet in the past on this. Uh, but the NDP has an opportunity now to get it done. Uh, they have an opportunity to get other concessions from the government. And generally saying, well, now he has to find, you know, that, that old uh, skill set you learn when you're a criminal defense lawyer and negotiating settlements and negotiating deals and, and playing hardball with the crown. Uh, well, now the crown is the Justin Trudeau government. Uh, and now is a chance to really get really big wins that are important to NDP voters. And Jagmeet Singh has the opportunity to do it now like he never has had in the past. And he has all the leverage because the conservatives and the bloc have already said they're not supporting it. Uh, so now or never really for Jagmeet Singh and, and these big priorities for, uh, for the Orange team. Let me let me ask you all this, uh, but, you know, in not putting those in there, which would have been obvious for Trudeau to put in, uh, you know, if he was working with the opposition, as he said he did, to me, it sounds like 
you know, you dare, I'm going to dare the opposition to call this election because it would have been very easy to piss off the conservatives in the bloc. But he could have put in a couple of things for the NDP uh, and gone. But to me, uh, you know, Dan, does it go for too far to, to suggest that he's almost daring the opposition to call an election? Well, I think he didn't say anything about green. He didn't say anything about necessarily oh, we'll get uh, to that. Uh, about recovery. But uh, I think what yeah. he's done here is basically said to uh, to others, uh, look, I'm going to try to find uh, you know, all this. I'm not saying anything that's going to be inflammatory. Uh, and I don't think there's much in its own speech that can be deemed as that. What's in it, what's not in it. Look, I, I think the NDP, is, this is you know looking a lot like 1992, 1993 for them. They're They're staring down the prospect of, uh, losing uh, potentially their party status, uh, and I think they know it. So they they don't really have time to gamble. They don't have any money. Uh, that's true of many other parties that perhaps are in very different circumstances. O'Toole uh, is not well known as a leader yet. Uh, it's going to take him some time. So I, to, to, to some extent, uh, Trudeau has uh, the cards. And whether we whether uh, political types like it or not, the reality is that uh, none of those parties can really afford to have an election right now. I think the Conservatives would be the only ones that might be able to properly finance one, uh, but the result may not be what they want. Uh, so, you know, it really comes down to Jagmeet Singh saying, I can't call an election. I can get more out of this, maybe draw extra ounces uh, of, you know, uh, of blood out of the stone and uh, get a few uh, Pyrrhic victories here and there and save my party for another day. But right now, uh, if the election were called, given the Trudeau Liberals far lurch to the left, it is absolutely clear the NDP really has no more oxygen to survive. Well, that's why I feel, uh, Peter, in some ways that, that Trudeau didn't put those uh, provisions in just to, to goad, um, you know, Jagmeet to not support it. And then therefore, it's the opposition's fault that we're going into an election during a pandemic. Uh, as I said, I thought that his original plan was just to roll out into an election, but the COVID numbers made that impossible. And I think that means the fallback to exactly what you're saying. I want an election, but I don't want it to be my fault. I need to be able to blame the opposition for it. And so that's why he's kind of dared them. Uh, the problem for uh, him is that, uh, you know, Jagmeet Singh is in a weak position and kind of everybody knows it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that everybody kind of knows it really makes it tough for him to take the, the positions that I think he's taken today. I think he's going to end up probably settling for, uh, you know, some window dressing, uh, such as the wealth tax or at least a commitment to explore the wealth tax that was in the throne speech and uh, not a heck of a lot more. And he's going to have to swallow himself whole. And, you know, that suits Trudeau quite well because he, you know, maybe he'll even do a few more things than that so that he can uh, kind of say, look, if those are the things you want, I'm actually the vehicle through which you do it, not the NDP. And that'll help him swallow up a few more of those votes from the NDP, which is his strategic objective over time to really get this to be a two-way contest between Conservatives and uh, Liberals and squeeze out the NDP. So uh, I think that's what we saw happening today. And Trudeau, as Dan said, I think is very much in the driver's seat on these questions because of the geometry of the politics these days. The real loser, I think, um, you know, in no fault of his own is Aaron O'Toole, because, of course, he's got COVID-19. So he could not uh, front this issue. He could not kind of introduce himself to Canadians, which uh, he has to do. You know, he's known in the GTA. But certainly on a day like this, when you know you're going to have kind of eyeballs on on political things, he wasn't able to uh, take the lead on this. And and Candace Bergen, the deputy leader, uh, ended up doing it for him. Uh, And then he did uh, manage to put out a a video uh, later this evening um, from his home where he and his wife are, are 
are are getting better from this thing. But that is a problem for him. Jaskrin is getting himself out there. I mean, on the leadership night, he was at one o'clock in the morning, you know, uh, and now, I mean, these, you know, unforeseen circumstances keep him from getting the spotlight when he needs it. Yeah, it's been a, a series of unfortunate kind of setbacks for O'Toole to have his big moments. Uh, the 1, 1 a.m. speech, uh, personally, I thought it like it gave it a really great, great dramatic uh, suspense. But how many people are staying up at 1 a.m. to hear it? Uh, and how much of the day after kind of newscasts about it was on the malfunctioning of like the whole process? Uh, even uh, today, uh, a lot of the coverage and a lot of the conversation around O'Toole is that, well, he has COVID and he's out of it and he wasn't able to give the commentary that he, he could have and use the platform in the way that it, it should have been, uh, to no fault of his own. Uh, the guy got COVID. Uh, there's nothing you can do about it. And I think uh, it, it, it's a real, uh, it's a real uh, example and a clear example of how COVID has completely changed the way things are being done uh, and has changed the trajectory of a lot of political decision making as well, uh, and and that uh, impacted uh, O'Toole as much as it impacted uh, just Trudeau using the opportunity to go and do a televised uh, uh, announcement, uh, the speech, the way he did. Like all yeah. these things are having a bearing on how this stuff is uh, being presented. And no question, Justin Trudeau purposely went to the networks uh, wanting to get that spotlight, Peter, um, and probably thinking that O'Toole wouldn't be able to get the airtime. But once we offered it to him, then you have to offer it to the opposition. And of course, they managed to get something out. But it, but it is, you know, through no fault of his own, it is um, unfortunate that he couldn't kind of take the headlines and, and give the performance that he would have wanted to as leader. Well, it was interesting. I watched uh, Francois Blanchet, the uh, block leader, who's in exactly the same circumstances. Uh, yeah. He's been diagnosed with uh, COVID, uh, uh, yet uh, he was able to deliver, I thought, a fairly effective, forceful uh, response. I don't know if it was pre-taped or live, but it... It said uh, it was live, but that would mean it, he, it, he's breaking the laws. But I don't know what the laws are in Quebec, know, so maybe he's not. <laughs> I don't know. Quebec, especially on COVID. <laughs> yeah, but, maybe. Uh, you, uh, certainly what uh, I heard him say was a very effective message to his core audience about... Uh, uh, federal intervention and provincial jurisdiction on some of these health and other issues, uh, which goes over very well. It allowed him to uh, reinforce that uh, traditional branding of Trudeau as a centralizer, a centralizer who takes away power from Quebec. And uh, for him, uh, I thought he did a superb job in delivering his message to his audience, uh, notwithstanding those constraints. So that was, a, I think, a pretty instructive uh, example for, uh, for a leader like uh, Aaron O'Toole. The government will launch a campaign to create over one million jobs, restoring employment to previous levels. This will be done by using a range of tools, including direct investments in the social sector and infrastructure, immediate training to quickly skill up workers, and incentives for employers to hire and retain workers. That was Julie Payette, the scandal play governor general, delivering the throne speech, by the way. She stayed on script, did not insert any of her space jokes this time. Likely that's because the prime minister sat about four inches away from her, throwing daggers from his eyes. But we got Dan McTagg, Jaskrin Singh Sandhu, and Peter Van Loan weighing in on a pretty busy day of politics. But let's talk about this building um, Canada back, uh, you know, with this resiliency. And, I, and the term I heard, uh, Dan, is build back better. And that is to say 
we are doing all things green. So there was a lot, I mean, they made a point of saying that green is the cornerstone of recovery um, yep. and their investments are going to be in renewables. There was absolutely nothing in this throne speech for the energy sector, no aid, no nothing, but they can't no. do a green recovery without it. So it doesn't make sense. No, they didn't have to mention it. their focus groups probably told them that green energy isn't a winner, but uh, nevertheless, uh, by mentioning energy, what, seven, eight, nine times, by mentioning net zero several times, climate change three or four times, by mentioning, uh, you know, pretty much anything you want, save and accept the word green recovery, it's pretty clear this was the green recovery throne speech, uh, you know, full stop. What it does mean, however, is now very clearly a likelihood that this government will push ahead with extraordinarily costly programs. And I'm not just talking retrofits, the clean fuel standard, Mm -hmm. Uh, further regulation, uh, and, you know, not even a SOP. I don't think they're even pretending now that they don't care about the oil and gas sector. They've even thrown another wrench in the, uh, uh, in the, in the works by saying we're going to ban a single-use plastic. Sounds great, but, of course, that uh, means for anybody going to a grocery store, don't expect plastics uh, to be used in your foods going forward. More importantly, what do you do? That'll be very bad if you need a ventilator to be intubated. I mean, what do you think they're made of? Yeah, we'd be asked Bayless Medical, who got one of the sold contracts. But I digress. What does this mean for Nova Chemical that just put $2 billion in a methane plant in Sarnia? Are you basically saying it's now time for Canada to walk away from this? This is a signal to investors around the world that Canada doesn't want the money. Please leave. We'll figure out a way to create jobs in this country by using more government debt. It is totally unsustainable. I'm pretty damn sure David Dodge uh, uh, and, of course, Don Drummond and pretty much everyone else, including, I have to say, Paul Martin, have to be really wondering tonight whether or not uh, this country can sustain another few months of this nonsense. Because, frankly, uh, this is heading down a very dangerous path. We've seen this here in Ontario, just a tiny, tiny glimpse of it with respect to the Green Energy Act. If everyone's happy with paying more than double for the hydro rents today and seeing businesses and manufacturing flee or at least not come back as strong as they were before, then by all means, let's double down. This looks like the fingerprints of Gerald Butts, uh, Elchie, and Bruce Lurie all over it, all over again. Yeah, and it was um, Liberal Finance Minister John Manley uh, just in the last day or so that urged, you know, spending restraint, Jaskin, and said, like, you can't go forward with an ambitious um, throne speech right now. That's not what we need, and that's not going to give stability to Canadians who are really scared. And, and the reason we're not seeing it yet is because we haven't had the economic hit, which is coming. You can see it coming down down the, the tracks, um, and yet they went the other way. And, and Dan's right. I mean, the architects of what we saw in Ontario, we've been down on this road before, and I just kind of heard it countrywide now. Austerity budgets are, uh, like, they're, they're not a good idea. Uh, and if we want to have a recovery, if we want to push this country forward, like, now is as good of time as any to start investing and uh, in, in kind of pushing this country in, in new directions and using this as a moment to uh, check, uh, you know, what have we done right? What have we done wrong? Where can we excel and where we can't? Uh, the the sad truth is, as much as you know, we support Canadian energy, as much as we want to see Alberta succeed, uh, oil is never going to be what it was. It just won't. Uh, and now is an opportunity to check uh, what else is out there that we can make uh, a strong position in and do well in. And clean energy is something that Canada does very well. Uh, we do very well in hydrogen power. We do very well in the technologies that touch upon this. Uh, this doesn't mean, uh, you know, the the, uh, the uh, green energy stuff that happened in Ontario and all the mess there is, is kind of indicative of this every time. It's 
Uh, it didn't. Maybe it didn't work out. Maybe there's lessons to be learned. Uh, but it doesn't mean we turn our back on green energy, or it doesn't mean we turn our back on the green economy, which is as much as part of the future as anything else. And it's going to require high-tech jobs, well-paying jobs, uh, and and scaling up in a way that can continue to push this country forward and in, in what the future will hold. And let's not also forget that the environment, uh, reducing greenhouse emissions, uh, carbon reduction, all those things are still like one of the number one issues among not right now though. True. we've true. seen yeah, several polls i've got several polls hold on it's a very important it's it, a very it, important but jaskrin the pandemic changed everything you know you can look at the polling it, it, it's not even at the top five right now it, only 10 percent right now of the latest ipsos yep. polling on this has it as a prior people want economy health they also have debt and uh, deficits higher than than green energy and climate change and, and that's the problem um is that this government peter has kind of pitted this this that you can't just uh focus on pandemic you've also got to worry about the climate crisis which you know if you would listen to elizabeth may this morning she sounded like a loon i'm sorry some of the things she was saying it was like what is wrong with her uh, but but the bottom line is even if we went green tomorrow you still need energy it's not going to happen overnight we're a third 30 to 40 years away uh, from from these new technologies and certainly for them to be affordable. And so the government to completely ignore the energy sector, which you actually need to, to get and, re- and build these things and, and build, is building all the plastic for a lot of the stuff that we're using right now in this pandemic, to me, it is just simply reckless. I remember being about 12 years ago in a meeting with uh, Bill Clinton was leading and it was a bunch of politicians from around the world. And he was reflecting on the Kyoto Accord. And of course, you know, most of the countries in the world that signed on to it, the overwhelming majority, all but a handful, were not able to meet their commitments under it. And he was reflecting, you know, it's not that we were, you know, venal, horrible people making these commitments with no intention of keeping them. We just enormously overestimated the ability of government to actually deliver on this. And the reality is we're not going to get change, climate change action until everybody stops driving cars, stops heating their homes, and stops consuming things. And uh, you're not going to see those kind of drops in emissions. Uh, they, can't simply, they simply cannot be achieved by governments in free and democratic countries. Uh, <laughs> and this is where I think there's a kind of dishonesty, and the governments love to set these goals, but then you never see the action that could possibly achieve them because society would never accept that. And this is this thing. Uh, everybody's all in support of it as long as it doesn't involve their own personal sacrifices. So uh, we'll hear this again, but what seems to be happening here is they're going to embark on a series of reckless big government, big spending measures that aren't going to achieve the results, but in the process are going to cause tremendous economic harm, tremendous damage to people's lives, and uh, right on. of course to that energy sector. And uh, it's, it's a kind of very high price they're asking individuals and families to pay for an experiment that they really know in their hearts yeah. isn't going to achieve the outcomes that they are promising. And that and to that- me is like very irresponsible public policy and government. And that's what Bill Clinton was basically saying to all these politicians from around the world. Reflect on what you can actually do and what you can actually achieve in terms of real results before you make bad policy decisions.
Right. I mean, in 2008, I mean, it was the energy sector that helped us uh, go fairly unscathed in, in that turmoil. But, it, you know, this throne speech will say nothing good yeah. to those in the West. But then let's talk about the child care, because child care has been an enormous issue during this pandemic. And of course, we go back to the Paul Martin promise that they'll have a, you know, countrywide child care plan. Again, there's no price tag on it. It would be enormously expensive. But Jasmine, we, we would need that like now. Like every day I'm worried that my kid's going to spike a fever and I'm going to be waiting in line like so many other parents, you know, to get the test because that's the only way you can get your kid in. And of course, you know, child care has been an issue, but the things that they're saying in the throne speech are, are nowhere near um, coming to fruition, let alone affordable. Yeah, child care is one of those issues where uh, the, the like the profound impact of investing in ch- child care is like almost immeasurable in many ways. Like, Obviously, there's empirical evidence that shows that investing in child care, every dollar you put into it, uh, every support that you provide into it, not only uh, provides women more opportunities in the workforce, uh, not only uh, increases the skill set of your workforce. Uh, Brings you sanity. Well, yeah, it, it drives the economy. It, it has a, a mm-hmm. profound impact beyond just we need babysitters. You know what I mean? Like people kind of dismiss child care sometimes as, well, these people just need babysitters. It's it's really uh, opening up a, a, a segment of your workforce that right now uh, it just ha- it has trouble entering. Uh, we've seen in Quebec and we've seen in other jurisdictions around the world that when you do have a really well put together national child care program of some sort, uh, the impacts are immeasurable. And, and it's really a benefit. And it, you know, I know it's the line that everyone kind of scoffs at and it's like, oh, liberals love saying stuff like this, but it really does pay for itself. Uh, it, it's yeah, but, but again... They just keep talking about it. And you know what would pay for that child care plan, Dan? Yeah, well, I know. Energy, exactly. gas, well, and energy, oil. I mean, we could have of, a lot of these things to do. But I agree. Well, yeah. Look, the, the, the kind of thing that runs your renewables, the kind of things which you can't have electric vehicles, the kind of things that cost trillions of dollars. Well, by the way, if you think it's such a great thing in terms of going down that road, ask Californians how it managed over the past few weeks when their electrical grid failed because they put so much of their effort in towards uh, simple green energy. Look, Canada has to understand that and Canadians have to understand, you can't do away with natural gas. In about a week or two from now, we're going to get some pretty cold weather. Uh, turn to people and say, hey, listen, put on a couple sweaters. Uh, don't turn on your therm- Don't turn up your thermostat in a world that wants more of Canada's energy. And by the way, that energy isn't just funding our social programs. That energy is also some of the cleanest energy we have in the world. What I find unfortunate in all this, Alex, is how many people we hear from who've been brainwashed into the belief that somehow we're making a transition away from dirty to clean, when in fact we've already achieved clean, and in a way that many other countries would find extraordinarily envious. Now, we can talk about the emissions and things like that, and that's great. But you know what? We More than just planting two billion trees, of which we have, what, a couple trillion hanging around, maybe one of the things the federal government should do is go back to the damn Paris Climate Agreement and say Canada should get credit for selling natural gas to China so that they don't build any more coal plants. You want to do something globally, you want to act locally. That, to me, seems to be the way in which we want to proceed with this to make sure clean Canadian energy, which is a hallmark and nothing that anyone else can disagree with, um, is something that we can continue to export as opposed to living in the world of uh, magic and make-believe, which was today's throne speech. Peter, you got 45 seconds. I'll give you the final word of uh, what people, sh- people should take as their takeaway today. 
I think that people are very nervous and scared right now because of COVID. They're willing to tolerate a fair bit of government intervention and spending to help manage those problems. They are not signing on for a transformation of Canadian society into a big government society where we spend beyond our means uh, on an ongoing basis. There is no mandate for that. And that kind of a, a transition from this government, if they go down that path, I suspect you will find that they have no success in the next election because they will have moved in directions that they had no mandate to move in and in bold ways in terms of building big government that they had no right to do. So uh, that would be a very high-risk strategy, and I think that they've got to be very careful about that. Stay tuned. Gentlemen, I want to thank you very much for your time on this. I appreciate it very much. Dan McTeague, Jaskarin Singh Sandhu, and Peter Van Loan. I appreciate it. That is your podcast for today. You can hear us on Point Live Monday through Friday, 6.30, 10. I'm Alex Pearson.